Thanks for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. Oh, it's a good, it's good morning. Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow. Um, it does not pass me by uh, what kind of honor and respect that this stage has. Uh, so can I just thank Pastor Devin, Pastor Courtney, can we give it up for them real quick? Thank you so much uh, for allowing me to speak on this stage. And man, can we just give it up for all the pastoral staff too? We are blessed here. They kill it in their individual ministries. Oh my goodness. And, uh, and lastly, I'd just like to thank you, man. This is the first time that I've, I've been able to hold a mic for a little while um, since I've been here and just get a public chance to thank you for welcoming me in your family. It has been a blast. It has been an awesome three months letting me love your kids. It has been incredible. And I cannot wait what happens in the fall. It's going to be good. So, yeah, let's give it up. Hey, I've got a word for you this morning. Something absolutely hit me a couple of weeks ago, and how many of you know it's good to get a new perspective on God every once in a while? Um, but let's, let's go ahead and dive in. Oh, one more, one more thing. So uh, this is the very first time I have spoken to adults. Um, they, like, if you're from 6th to 12th grade, blank faces, they don't scare me. Adults, on the other hand, I don't know. So I'm going to need a little bit of amens, what's good, throughout the message, so I know that you're with me. So say amen if you're ready to dive in. All righty, here we go. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, um, and we're going to start there. Uh, it is towards the end of the Bible, so turn there with me, and it goes like this, starting in verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we've seen did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this opportunity. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come in your house to worship you. We thank you for what you've already done in this service, what you will continue to do. Let us exit these doors, Lord God, encouraged and just inspired to be more like you. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Now, how many of you know that there's just some things that when you grow up, you automatically know how to do? No one needs to teach you how to do them. You just automatically know how to do them. I was talking to the youth the other day about babies. You don't need to teach a baby or a toddler how to hit. You got to teach them how not to hit, of course, right? And so I think that there's just certain things that are wired in my DNA. And when, when I was growing up, there was something that I did all the time. And you didn't have to ask me. I didn't learn it. I didn't see it. It just automatically clicked. I will always always take the groceries in in one trip. Always. Is there anybody else? Anybody else in the house? Always one trip. God forbid I go back to the car. I will get those groceries to the door, 
right? Mom pulls up to the driveway, honks the car, you know, groceries, and you go running out. You get slip on the sandals. They're like dad's sandals. They're like five sizes too big. Got to like waddle out to the car. Mom goes back inside. You're like linking bags up to your arm, and you got like, you know, everything around. You put one around your neck. You got the milk by like your pinky. You know what I'm saying? And you got to do that weird waddle through the door like this, and you finally get to the counter, and you're like, ugh, and you're like so proud of yourself. You're like, yeah, that's right, one trip. And your mom gives you, she looks up because the bread is like crushed. All of the groceries are terrorized. Like the milk is spilling off of the counter. And you're like so proud. And mom gives you just one, you know, like the disapproval look. And you look up and you're like, yeah, yeah. Like you're proud of yourself. Kick off, you know, kick off your sandals, go watch TV. Like that was ingrained in my childhood. I don't know if it was any of you. And I am 24 now. And I go to Meyer, and still I will be like, one trip, one trip every single time. There is no second trips to the car. Now, I think a lot of us treat faith the same way we treat the groceries. Now, we're talking about faith today, and if you're like me, this little word faith can mean a lot of different things. It would be incredible to have a mic and let everybody share what faith was defined for them. You know, something might come to your head, whether it be definitions, whether it be word pictures, verses you've memorized, books you've read, sermons you heard, everything that encompasses this little tiny word, faith. Now, I know there's differences of opinions and backgrounds and maybe even negative emotions that come alongside this word, faith. But I think a lot of us understand faith the way we understand carrying all those groceries. Real believers with real faith can just carry it like we carry all the groceries. Real believers can hold on to God. And we treat every single week like carrying those groceries. Where it's just an expectation. We got to pick them up. We just got to get through the week. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I just got to trust God. Ah, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Back, back to another week. Back to another Sunday. Back to another midweek service. God's distant. I don't feel him close here, but I just got to try harder. I just got to try harder. I just got to trust him more. I know, I know, I know. Ah, and we get through the week, week in and week on. You've even come and heard sermons like this in church. Faith is the ability to hold on to God. We got to walk into a season, but I got to hold on to God anyway. Even though it's hard, I got to hold on to God and grab him. Like God's trying to get away from you or something like that. Like you're running around and playing hide and go seek, and you're like, I got you, God. I will never let you go. Like as if that's something that we could do. We treat faith that's something that is our primary responsibility. We treat faith like it's something that's our primary responsibility. It's like working out. And if you're like me, I don't like working out. So I'd say that we're going to be talking about faith today. And some of you buckle down. You're like, all right, got to get ready. Got to get stretched out. Got to get ready for this workout. Got to try harder, do more, trust better, read your Bible. And it's just, you almost start sweating hearing about it. At least I do. We come to church gatherings and expect to hear something that spurs us into truth. Like, have you let go of God this week? Because you better grab him again. You better grab him. And we become more and more exhausted week by week. And, but we think this is the full definition of faith. This is just what the Christian life is about. It's about getting through. It's about trying harder. It's about trusting more. 
But today I would like to present to you something that absolutely blew my mind and I hope will help us today realize what faith really is. I'm titling my sermon, The Power of Real Faith or Just Real Faith. And we're taking a look at Hebrews 11. And the thing that I found out was that this tiny word faith, I found out the actual definition of this word faith. So I looked it up in the Greek and it is this word, it is this word, you can throw it up on the screen, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. All right, pistis. This is, the, this is the actual definition for the majority of the time that is used in the New Testament for the word faith. And this little word, pistis, in its actual roots means to persuade, to persuade or to convince, to persuade or to convince. Based off of that definition, I would like to tell you that your faith this morning is not fragile. Your trust in God is not predicated on your grip on him as if that could possibly happen. And we collectively need to diminish the idea of how much this rests on our own strength, our own power, or our own ability. We can go around chasing God and grabbing him. I don't think that's the way to go. I think the Greek word for faith means persuasion. So faith, in a nutshell, is divine persuasion. Faith is divine persuasion persuasion, which means God is the initiator of any faith that you will have and any that you ever will have. He is the ultimate initiator. He is the only reason that we will ever have trust in him or ever have had trust in him. Faith is not something magically concocted in the spiritually elite. Faith is always a gift Faith is given by God and will always be given by God. There is nothing that I can muster up in my own strength or my own self-will. Let us let God be God. Let us let him be the initiator and the scriptures tell us the completer of our faith. So he is the beginning and he is the end. It's not like in the beginning us, it was in the beginning God. It wasn't like in the beginning us, there was these little humanoids just running around. Oh, I'm going to find you, God. We're going to find you. We're playing them out. And God's over there going, oh, man, I really hope they don't find me. I really hope they don't find me. And we're like, we found you, God. Oh, you did. You found me. No. The scriptures say that God reveals himself. The only reason we ever interacted with him, ever had relationship with him, and ever will keep going in our lives is because of divine persuasion. It is because of the gift of divine persuasion to him. So as we continue, what is our responsibility? What's our role? If I'm talking about we need to get rid of this idea of the burdens and these groceries and everything, what's our actual responsibility? To simply be open, to be open to be open to God's persuasion, which is crazy to me. And this is what we see in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, the author knows who his audience is. His audience is mainly first century Jews that have been trying previously to complete the Torah, complete a set of laws that were in the first five books of the Bible. But now because of Jesus's life, death and resurrection, they believed that Jesus fulfilled these rules that these trying, and then there's no longer defined by this. They were temporary. 
And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't go back here to this previous way of life. You've been persuaded by Jesus. Be persuaded in your everyday life. Because here's the deal. They realized that some of their, uh, some of their fellow Jews that were believing in Jesus were being persecuted and put to death. And they were thinking, well, if I go back to this old way of thinking and you don't kill me, maybe that's something I should consider. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, but you've been persuaded, though. You've been persuaded by the truth. Don't go back to trying by yourself. Don't go back to relying on yourself. Trust Jesus. Believe in Jesus. You've gone from earning and deserving to receiving and believing. You don't want to go back to that previous life. So let's take a look at verse 6 again, where the author tells us, and it is impossible, impossible, a powerful word, impossible to please God without faith. Now the writer of Hebrews is telling his audience, previously it was impossible to please God without accomplishing this set of rules through the law. Now it is impossible to please God without Jesus. Because God is holy and we are not holy, but Jesus was holy. Because Jesus is the one that came, that fulfilled the law, that persuaded them and persuades us. Now, if we just accept the divine persuasion of Jesus, we are considered perfect with God forever. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going to go into and use examples of these crazy, awesome people. These crazy, awesome people were known as the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. So basically, they were just incredible heroes of the faith that every single Jew would have known their story like the back of their hand. They were told their stories from generation to generation to generation. But what's interesting is that the author of Hebrews is going to use their example and point them to Jesus, even though they were Old Testament characters. They're going to point them to Jesus. And it's really interesting because Hebrews 11.6, that impossible verse, is in the context of Abel and Enoch. Abel and Enoch. Who were Abel? Who was Enoch? Abel, second-born human on the planet, all right? Born to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were... The first two humans on the planet, they had perfect harmony with God, but as we all know, Adam and Eve had a bad day, and they got kicked out of the garden, all right? So it starts out this story that Abel and Cain brought sacrifices to God. Now, quick pause. The way my brain works when I read the Bible is like, hold on. This is a second-born human on the planet. How did they know to sacrifice to God? Like, I know that we know that there's, like, evidence of sacrificing to gods in the ancient world, but, like, how did they know? And I find it wildly convincing that Adam and Eve, though they were kicked out of the garden, told their boys that that God still wants a relationship with them. Which is, it it was just one of those details where I was like, that's crazy. But then in Genesis 4, anyway, it says that Abel and Cain brought sacrifices to God. And Abel brought the best of his herd. The best. He was a shepherd, and he brought the best. Now Cain, Cain worked the ground. He worked with the fruits and vegetables, and it says that he only brought some, not the best. And Cain all of a sudden knows um, when God speaks, you know, I like Abel's sacrifice, but I don't like yours, Cain. I don't like yours. Now, first off, it stinks to be Cain in this story. Like, we think that this is like a, a natural thing that happened all the time. Like, this is a worship service. They had hymns going in. They had their best sandals on. They put their sacrifice on the altar. Like, there's some, all of this different stuff. I don't think it went down like that. They're the second born humans. They're putting it on the altar talking about, mom and dad said you were cool, so, uh, here? Like, I guess, you know, like, I don't know. But like, can I ask another question? How did Abel know to bring his best? How did Abel know to bring his best? Like, I was, I was searching this, and if Adam and Eve told them the same stories, the same thing, like, how did Abel know? 
Bible doesn't explicitly tell us, but Hebrews is telling us right here, Abel was persuaded. Abel was persuaded, divinely persuaded. There was just something in his heart that he got spoken to, and he laid his best to the Lord. Preachers all over talk about how we need to be like Abel and not like Cain. You better bring your best to the Lord. And I don't know because I think that Abel was just divinely persuaded. And I don't, I don't think Abel can really take credit. I don't think Abel was out here strutting, talking about, I knew. I just knew. I knew that we had to worship the Lord and we had to do this. No, it was only, only by God. And God even speaks to Cain afterwards. And he says, hey, this is how you can still please me. And Cain, whether he doesn't either understand, he can't complete the task, or my personal opinion, the most likely that he was just too prideful to continue to ask God for help in this arena, he participates in the human condition. He fuels his selfishness and his anger, and he kills his brother, which is wild because the writer of Hebrews, the very first example he uses is someone that was murdered. The second one never dies. In Genesis 5, 22 through 24, it says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. That is all the juicy details we get about Enoch. The most powerful concept, arguably, in the scriptures, talking about faith, and the writer of Hebrews decides to use Abel and Enoch, two dudes that we could not possibly have less information about in the entire Bible. And we use this passage to tell people, you better diligently seek God like who? Like Abel. And Abel's sitting over here like, uh, I don't know if I can take credit for that. Like, I just, I kind of felt something, and, and that's what I went with. And we talk about Enoch, too. Enoch, how did you walk with God? Like, we look at the scriptures. Why didn't Jared, his father? Why, didn't, why don't we get that detail about Methuselah, his son? We get it about Enoch. And the Hebrew translation says he's walked with God. Hebrew translation in there is like steadily. So every day, every day he walked with God, every single day. Did you, did you catch how many years Enoch lived? Did you catch how many years? 365 years. This is around the time where folks were living to be like 900. But 365 years, one year for every day of the year. What's the message in Enoch's life? God's saying, I, I want to walk with you every day. I want to walk with you every day. Well, how do I do that? Oh, when we think God's telling us, just, you, you got to get up and try. Those who are determined will seek the Lord. Those who can get up out of bed and just run after God, and if you can maybe catch him, you, you yourself can walk with God. But I don't think so. Enoch seems to just have a bend towards God, a desire towards God. You know what, even, do you remember the activity that Adam and Eve and God did in the garden all the time? Do you remember? He, God creates this entire utopia, this entire thing, and he could make humans do anything he wanted. He could have them serve him. He could have them worship him 24-7, work the ground, but he walked with them. He just walked with them. He would just show up, and he would be like, you want to go for a walk? And they'd walk through the garden, and that was perfection. That was the ultimate goal of God. He just walked with them, which is crazy. 
And Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, and they could have been easily convinced that God no longer wanted to walk with them. But yet God still says, hey, tell the boys, tell the boys I still want to walk with them. That's crazy. What's the message? God wants to walk with you every day. Not just the spiritual big moments every single day, walking you through everything, every emotion, every little thing. And we're not talking about trying. This isn't the moment in the message where I'm like, all right, RT, we're going to walk with God this season. This fall, it's defeat sin month. Like, you know, I don't think that that's the moment to do that. I, I don't think that's the case. Enoch was persuaded. Methuselah didn't have it. Jared didn't have it. But Enoch had it. Just a desire for God because he was persuaded. And I think that even after hearing something like this message, we can say that that was awesome, that you're clapping, saying amen to the different things that are going on, such a great word. But yet we still think that these messages are only for those who are starting their journey in the Lord, saying amen, amen, yes. Other people listen to him. He wants to walk with you. He wants to walk with you. But yet you sit still walking through some of the toughest times of your life, and you think, I just got to get through I just got to continue to walk. I just got to get through this season. And I don't think that that's the case. God is, a, God is not expecting you to try, to try harder, be better, get through it. Because you've already been persuaded, right? You've already been persuaded. You can boil your persuasion down to a one-time event, a one-time moment. Most of us can say, that was the moment that I got saved. That was the moment I was, I was persuaded and I praise God for it. And don't get me wrong. That moment is certainly a moment to praise God for. But I think that most of us think that it's then and then we just follow God and it's just following God and it's really, really, really hard. Have you ever followed someone in a car that like where you're going somewhere and you don't really know the area? So you're like, I'm, I'll just follow you, right? And you're confident, you're good. And in about five seconds, you realize that this person should never be followed in a million years. Like you're just, all of a sudden you get on the highway and they're going 25 miles an hour over and you got to bob and weave through like traffic. All of a sudden you can't even listen to music because your head's sticking out the window trying to look for the license plate. Like you're like driving like a madman or all of a sudden you get off the freeway, right? And the worst thing happens. They go through a yellow light and there ain't no way you making that light. And so like you got to slam on the brakes and stop and give them that call. We're like, hey man, I lost you. Hey dude, come on. You got to circle back around. You got to come get me. And they're just, you, they're like, why weren't you following closer? And then you thought about yelling at them. But anyway, you just keep talking and it's an argument. Like, and all of a sudden it always ends with this, always ends with this. Hey, just, just look it up on G GPS. Just, just figure it out. Just look it up on GPS, right? I don't think this is the way God is. But I think it's the way some of us see him. We're confident in the moment in the parking lot talking about, I will follow you in the moment that you got saved. I will follow you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden God takes off. And we're like, we're like bobbing and weaving. We can't follow him. All of a sudden we get stopped. And, and we think God's just like, hey, just figure it out. Just look it up on GPS. Just look, just look it up in the Bible. Look it up. Figure it out. But I don't think that's the God I serve. This isn't God. God didn't let you be saved simply to leave you and say that you got to try harder, be better, trust more. The good news about the Christian life is not predicated on a one-time event. It's following a God who constantly persuades us. 
every ounce of faith, every little bit of strength that we have, every tiny portion of righteousness attributed to us, to God, are all gifts from God. Never from us mustering up enough strength, making ourselves trust, disciplining our hearts to be better. God is the divine persuader. God is a divine persuader. And I'm closing today, and I know it was a little short. We want to make sure that we have time to pray for the students um, and, and be able to, to have a little bit of time here before the Lord. But I wanted to encourage you with that today. I wanted to tell you something that may encourage and inspire you going into this new season. We're about to enter into a new season. Kids are going back to school maybe new routines. We're going back to work for some people. Summer vacations disappearing. Summer weather's disappearing. We're going back to the real world for a lot of us. And it can be hard. Or maybe you're even going through a tougher season than that. Maybe you're walking through some moments where you've got to trust God for some financial provision. Maybe you, gotta, you, you, you have death in the family. Or maybe you're just walking through some straight-up pain. Or maybe... You know, maybe it isn't any of that. Maybe it's not that it's just pain or anything like that. Maybe you're good with God, but you've understood him the same way for a long, long time. You've understood him the same way for a long, long time. There hasn't been something fresh. There hasn't been something spoken to you. And maybe you just need to be persuaded again. And this, I know that we're wrapping up, but I, this is how I would like to end the service if it's okay with you. I would like to put the ball back in our great God's court. I would like him to do what he does best. I want us to surrender this idea of having to take the groceries in one trip, grab hold of God, and never let go. I want to get rid of that. Simply surrender. Walk into the season knowing that God is the one who reveals. God is the one who loves. God is the one who cares. God is the one who leads. God is the one who persuades you. And he always will be. Let's have everyone stand. And before, I know the students will be coming over in a couple of minutes, but I just want everyone to stand because I want to take a moment here in this, in this sanctuary uh, and just have some moments with the Lord. I want to do a couple things simultaneously in a minute. I'm a, I'm, I want to I think that there's sometimes, hear me now, I think that there's sometimes that the enemy weaves himself into our Christian faith. I think that there's sometimes where our perception and our eyes get a little bit skewed and we start to understand God. God's biggest, or the enemy's biggest scheme sometimes isn't necessarily putting you on a wrong path. It's simply convincing you that God isn't who he says he is. And so I want to tell you today that he is the great persuader. He will persuade you over and over again as many times as you possibly need, and he enjoys every minute of it. And he wants to love you, and he wants to walk with you every single day. So there's a couple different groups of people that I want at this altar before we pray for the kids. One, the first group, if you just need to be persuaded again, if transitions or tough seasons 
or simply needing something fresh from him, I want you in a minute to be up here just praying that the Lord will persuade you again. Not about praying harder, not about trying harder, but just surrendering, saying, persuade me again, persuade me again, persuade me again. And the second group of people, if you have never made a decision to follow the God who persuades, and in this moment you're feeling a little bit like Abel, there's just something in your heart that is stirring up and saying, I know that I want to be next to someone who loves me forever, who cares for me, and who wants the best for me in every single arena. I want you to also be up here praying with some of our leaders. And we're just going to, I made this message just a little bit short because I wanted, I wanted the Lord, and he's already done some amazing things this morning. Can I get an amen? But I want to, just a moment where, where he gets to do the talking and I get to take a back seat. So if you're in two of those groups, we're gonna pray for the kids in a second, but leaders, if you could help me out, and, and, and leaders and pastors, if you wanna come up to the front and just get ready as well, and if you are in one of those groups, if you need to be persuaded by God again, or if you um, just need to be uh, walk start your walk with the Lord, I want you to come up to these altars, and then I'm gonna jump on the mic in just a minute, and we'll close out this service, all right? So come on, fill these altars, fill these altars. Thanks for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders.